views expressed by speakers are their own and may not necessarily represent the views of the IMS. Hello, I'm Dr. Marla Shapiro. I sit on the board of the International Menopause Society and I'm joined by another board member, uh, Dr. Tim Hillard. Could you please introduce yourself to our audience? Hello, I'm Tim Hillard. I'm a consultant gynecologist in University Hospitals Dorset in England. I am been involved in menopause for many years. I've been a past president of the British Menopause Society and now on the board of the International Menopause Society. So today what we're going to be talking about is women and let's say I'm your average woman who has a gynecological malignancy. So some type of cancer that may or may not be sensitive to estrogen. So I'd like to walk through some of them because often women with any type of cancer are very much focused on their cancer and the treatment, but then may have symptoms related to the surgery or related to menopause currently with the cancer. So let's first talk about uterine cancer and whether or not that is a reason that we cannot treat women who have symptomatic menopause. So I think uh, the first thing to say is that women who've had uterine cancer are likely to have had their ovaries removed as part of the treatment. So if they weren't menopausal before they had their treatment, then they will be afterwards. And this can have quite a lot of impact as it can anybody else and their symptoms. And they need to discuss this with their oncologist or their doctor to make sure that they are getting appropriate recognition of those symptoms. Sometimes these are forgotten because everyone's focusing on the cancer rather than on, on other things. I think the options that are available depends very much on the symptoms and there are lots of options we can offer people without giving hormone replacement. Um, we usually would suggest that vaginal estrogen preparations are okay for women who've had endometrial cancer. Uh, or womb cancer, but uh, we wouldn't rush into using hormone replacement therapy for this group unless there's very significant symptoms that are affected by it. Um, it's important. So, so let's talk about what we can offer. Let's say it's me and I've had my uterus out and I'm having terrible symptoms. What would be some of the first things that I could try? So depending on, on what's available where you are, I mean, there are lots, there are quite a few uh, herbal remedies that people use quite frequently that can help to take the edge off the hot flushes. There are uh, products like gabapentin and venlafaxine that are, can be prescribed, but of course they all have side effects. And there are things like cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a, a psychological tool that people can use to help manage the hot flushes and to make them less disruptive for their lives. Uh, there's quite a variety of different things that, that are available. Uh, but if those are not successful, then hormone treatment may need to be considered. So the first medications that you mentioned are not hormone therapy. They're typically used for other reasons that have found to be helpful with hot flashes. That's right. Yes, yes. Venlafaxine is commonly used as an antidepressant, but actually the way it works is actually very effective for hot flashes as well. In lower doses than one typically would use for depression. So yeah. let's say I'm a, I'm a woman and I've had my ovaries taken out um, because of ovarian cancer. So in that situation, I would be, um, again, conscious of the various symptoms that they may have and the concerns that they have about the future. But I would reassure you that having ovarian cancer does not stop you having hormone replacement therapy if you need it. Particularly if you were in a younger age group under the age of, say, 55, then the, the need for hormone replacement therapy would be stronger. Um, and in that situation, for most women, it's not, uh, not unreasonable to prescribe hormone replacement therapy. The evidence we have does not suggest that it increases the risk of a recurrence of the cancer. There are occasionally very rare types of ovarian cancer that can be sensitive, so we would always need to discuss that with the oncologist. But in general terms, it would be reasonable to prescribe it if you felt it was necessary. And if I'm a woman who doesn't have ovarian or breast cancer, but I carry the gene, 
that puts me at markedly increased risk for ovarian cancer or breast cancer. And I've had the surgery to reduce my risk by removing my ovaries and tubes. Does that mean that I can't have hormone replacement? Because often these women are in their 30s, they're quite young, um, and, and they're really suddenly cast into sudden menopause. No, I think it's important to emphasize that these women can have hormone replacement. I think it's important to have a full discussion, preferably before the surgery, about this because going through an early menopause has significant risks itself for long-term health, particularly in terms of heart disease and, and uh, osteoporosis. Um, so the, the, whilst their background risk of breast cancer, for instance, would be increased by their family history or their gene history, um, that doesn't mean to say that hormone replacement therapy increases the risk in them any more than it does in anybody else. So whilst their awareness will be greater, it's still perfectly reasonable to use hormone replacement as and when you need it, and certainly in a younger woman up until the age of, age of around 50. And one of the more common cancers that we see across all age groups, 30, 40, 50, even older, is cervical cancer or cells that are markedly atypical that require some type of surgery, but not necessarily a hysterectomy. So first, let's talk about frank cervical cancer where you've had surgery. What about hormones in that situation? Hormones in that situation are generally fine. So the cervix is not usually sensitive to oestrogen, to so we wouldn't expect the cancers to respond to that, and there's no increased risk of recurrence in women who've had cervical cancer. It's quite common in the younger women to leave the ovaries behind anyway at the time of surgery so that they may not even go through the menopause particularly early. Um, there are occasionally rare types of cervical cancer where estrogens may be less widely used, they might be sensitive, so one has to be cautious about that, but that's pretty unusual. And one of the less common cancers, which I think women are aware of, is cancer of what we call the vulva or the vagina itself. What happens in those situations? So in those situations, we can be pretty reassured because they are not hormone sensitive and it's perfectly reasonable to use hormone replacement or vaginal estrogen preparations in those women without really any great concern it's going to cause any further problems as far as that cancer is concerned. And one of the things that women often don't talk about because they assume it's part of aging as opposed to the lack of estrogen, is vulvovaginal atrophy, VVA, a dry vagina, painful, painful sexual intercourse. As a, um, a, a treatment, vaginal estrogen often gets underplayed, but what's the role of vaginal estrogen in general with gynecological malignancies, and is it specific to the malignancy? Well, vaginal estrogens are, as you've said, an incredibly useful preparation, which is underused, and they, they can make a very big difference to symptoms. In general terms, they are only absorbed within the vaginal area, so they don't get absorbed to any significant extent in the circulation, and it's perfectly okay to use them in people who've had concerns about whether it's thrombosis or cancer or elsewhere in the body without any major concern. One's always a little cautious, but on the whole, uh, it's perfectly acceptable to use that and can lead to a big improvement in quality of life and symptoms with, with minimal, if no, risk at all. I think one of the most important things that you're highlighting is, is that because cancer of any sort is often such a devastating diagnosis, we tend to just push everything else away and don't think about the long-term consequences, perhaps. So I think pointing out the importance of having this conversation with your healthcare provider about your concerns, particularly in young women who suddenly lose their estrogen in terms of that impact in their heart health, their bone health, and so on. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and particularly in the younger women, it also there's evidence that this has a big impact on sexual function and relationships as well. So it's it's really important that these things are addressed. And if it's not always the oncologist who's in a position to deal with that. So in discussing with your primary care physician or, or another gynecologist or a menopause specialist is really very helpful. Well, thank you so much for talking to us about this today. Okay.